Good evening, church. My name is Noelin. I'm a member here, and I'll be reading uh, someone's scripture passage for today, uh, from uh, which will be someone. If you'd like a copy of the Bible, we have copies in the lobby. Please feel free to grab one and keep it as a gift to you. Again, I'll be reading someone, so please follow along with me. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. Um, let me pray for us. Let's pray to God. <clears throat> God, thank you for this church. Um, pray that they would have a vision of what you could do years from now. So give them a good long-term vision. And uh, to that end, help them to pace themselves well. Uh, and I uh, pray that your word today would encourage your people in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> you know, it's really good to be here. Um, my church, we started about, about 11 years ago. And uh, there were about 30 of us. And when we first started... Uh, you wonder a lot whether you're just going to make it you know, at that stage. And I remember a, a much older pastor, he said that uh, this is actually a really precious time because once you hit like 100, it's not the same. Uh, it's still family, but it's definitely not the same. And when you hit 200, it's, it's very different. And so um, maybe it could be somewhat of an anxious time when you wonder like, hey, we're a small church and so forth. But I would just I would just encourage you to enjoy it. I would um, yeah to do that. You know it's been great to have Steve uh, as a student. Um, I'm always very distracted by how big his biceps are. <laughs> like you know we, he's been my student for a long time, and I see him like twice a week, but that's just the first thing I see, and then and then his godliness. <laughs> His biceps are just disproportionately... Anyway, anyway. You can scratch that from the sermon, <laughs> okay? All right, what are we talking about today? All right, someone, someone. <clears throat> All right, so um, I'm from New York City, and um, I've sort of had an interesting path to ministry. Um, when I was 18, I realized that if you're going to do ministry, you're probably not going to be uh, well-off. And so I uh, wanted to be well off. And so I became an investment banker. And uh, for about <clears throat> three, four years, um, even during college, uh, I made decent money. Uh, but long story short, um, I went to seminary and uh, my income dropped exponentially. Uh, I made a month as an investment banker what I made uh, a year as a, a seminary student. And then uh, I came to Northern Virginia. And Northern Virginia is like, um, I'm just blown away by how expensive the cost of living is here, as many of you know. And um, I've met many like wealthy people here. It's been an interesting process. But I was thinking about this sermon because in a weird way, 
the happiest people I've actually ever encountered was during seminary. And um, it really struck me because when I look back, compared to what life was like as a banker in New York City and relatively comfortable life here uh, in Northern Virginia, I just remember we as seminary students, we had like so little, but we were like so happy. It's just a weird, I was thinking about that a lot. Um, Even nights like where on Sundays we would order like this Papa John special, like five pies for like 50 bucks. And we would portion control it so it would last for the entire week. <laughs> when I look back, it was, it was so pathetic, but it was so uh, great. And I just remember laughing so deeply. And recently, um, a good mentor of mine asked me this very pointed question I wanted to ask you. Are you happy? Are you happy? Um, are you really happy? And I feel like it's a hard question to answer because do you notice um, on social media, no one ever posts, check this out, my wife and I, we're fighting right now, right? <laughs> we're like, you know, they always uh, like, uh, post like a picture of like the baby saying the first word, like mama. But those of you that are parents, you know that there are many other videos you could post. Like, what were we thinking? <laughs> and so, like, you know, I feel like we have this pressure because of social media to seem happy. But I think one of the uh, privileges of being a pastor is you actually meet many people who are not happy, and they're willing to share that with you. And not just many people, but many incredibly successful people. Uh, This past year, three of my friends, they became multi, multi, multi multi-millionaires. One, about 150 million, second, 90, and the third, 50. And... um, they always ask me, you have any ideas what I should do with this? I'm like, I have a few. <laughs> it's called the John Slush Fund. <laughs> okay, but, but it's so many wealthy people, successful people. And you know, Arlington people are like that. They're successful, they're wealthy, they're just not happy. And um, so I thought that this psalm would actually be a really good psalm to just think about with you. And, and as you ask this question, like, are you happy? It's a very vulnerable, it's a very difficult question. And... Um, that's what I want to talk about today, the pursuit of happiness. I think that's what the psalm is talking about. And it says three things. So <clears throat> in a very uh, Presbyterian way, I'm going to give you three points. Okay, so the first point is that happiness is possible, right? Number two, that happiness can't be the goal. And number three, right, the way to happiness. So those three things. Okay, number one, <clears throat> happiness is possible. Number two, but it can't be the goal. That's the irony. But number three, so how do we get it? <clears throat> Excuse me. So, number one, happiness is possible. You notice how the psalms, uh, this psalm begins. It says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or send away sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So, if you are very church, this language sounds very familiar, like blessed. But if you haven't been church, you know, you're just like, what does this actually mean? And, uh, you know, technically, if you look at the Hebrew, it's actually really straightforward. It's saying, like, uh, very happy is this person. And so what's assumed here is that happiness is possible. It's possible. And I just want to say that to you one more time. Happiness is possible. 
because <clears throat> immediately, and by the way, it's not just that it's possible. Uh, you notice how, look at verse 3 for a moment. It says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not um, wither. In all that he does, he prospers, right? This is what the psalmist is getting at. It's not just that happiness is possible. The psalmist is saying that you can actually be happy in any and every uh, season. See, it's an, an incredible statement. Now, usually when you make this statement, you have a spectrum of responses, right? And by the way, I think you usually begin on this end, you end on this end. So usually when you're younger, when you haven't really experienced much of life, uh, and you hear like someone say happiness is possible, you respond by saying, you're like, of course, of course, because you just haven't lived life. I have uh, three kids, <clears throat> and my uh, first son, he's like this weird mix of like, he's a programmer and a philosopher. He's only 10, but um, he, he's a weird kid. I mean, when, we, when he was three, we were catechizing him, and he said, Dad, I have a question to ask you. I thought he was going to ask me something like, did dinosaurs exist? <laughs> but he was like, Dad, why is God committed to redeeming the world? And I said, what the? <laughs> so in any case, um, last year, he's just 10, and he's looking at his baby sister. She's five. And he says, such an innocent child. I was like, what? what are you talking about? <laughs> he said, look at how blissful she is. She knows so little of the world. I'm looking at him. I said, you live in Fairfax. You know nothing of this world, right? But as he was making that statement, it was interesting that even as a 10-year-old, he was saying that you can only be happy if you're ignorant. So when you hear someone say, hey, happiness is possible, you're like, yeah, of course, if you've been incredibly sheltered and if you haven't lived life. And maybe some of you are still there. <clears throat> and by the way, I, I wish much, much, happiness up, uh, much happiness upon you, but this is what happens. You actually live life. You live life. And um, the longer you live life, even for those of you who have gotten everything you wanted, you, you know what I mean. Like maybe some of you right now, um, you know, you met the one, right? Uh, maybe you have a great job. Maybe you have a house. Maybe you have a house in Arlington, which is amazing, right? But you live long enough, and you begin to think that happiness is just a dream, right? It, or it's this endangered species, right? It's, it's an elusive reality. Um, this young man, <clears throat> more recently... He was sharing this with me. He had, uh, he had a very sad life. Basically, uh, when he was young, his mom uh, abandoned him and his dad. But as a child, he said, I'm not going to let this like, set my life. So he, um, he worked hard. He paid his own way to, through college. He got an incredible job. <clears throat> he met an incredible woman. And it seemed for a moment that finally... He had arrived. He was happy. And they had an, an, a beautiful son. But about three months um, into his son's life, uh, they discovered he had cancer. And anyone that's a parent, you know that breaks your heart. And um, the physician said to him, this is a tricky situation. Your son has, it's not a good form of cancer. So you should do the chemo. But no guarantees, but the chemo is going to be rough because your your son's young. 
And uh, <clears throat> he shared with me, man, happiness is hard. He said, hard. And it's so hard that, as you might know, some people resolve to end it all, right? That's why I think that just this basic point is actually very profound. Like, happiness is possible. And um, I just want to encourage you with that, because maybe not right now, but at some point in your life, you might think, no, it's not possible. That's where the Bible comes in. It says, no, like, blessed is this person. The psalmist is saying, no, you, you can be happy. You don't have to end it. And I'm not even just talking about actual suicide. I'm saying just you can live without living. The psalmist is saying that you can be happy. Happiness is possible. See how it's very penetrating if you think about it in that way. <clears throat> but number two is this. Happiness is possible, but you can't be happy, this is the irony, if you make it the goal. Okay? If you make happiness your primary goal in life. Again, if you look at verses 1 and 2, it's actually really interesting. Um, the psalmist begins by saying, you see, you have to <clears throat> think about your sources of happiness. That is, you have to think about what counsel, what advice you have received concerning happiness. This is why a psalmist says in biblical language, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of mockers, the scoffers, right? And this is number one. You see, if you want to be happy, it is actually very helpful to take a step back and ask what you have come to believe regarding happiness. This is actually very, very helpful. And let me illustrate it in this way. So some of you may know this name, Tony Shea. Does it ring a bell? If you don't know who Tony Shea is, you probably know his company. He started this uh, company called Zappos. And so some of you might have purchased uh, shoes, sneakers from it. And then eventually Amazon bought out Zappos. And Tony Shea, um, when he was only like 25, he, made, he had uh, made a company, sold it to Microsoft, so at 25, he was worth about 30 to 50 million. Not, not bad. And then by the time um, he sold Zappos to Amazon, he was worth almost a billion dollars. Okay, so, you know, not bad. But he wrote this book, and it's a really fascinating book. It's called Delivering Happiness. It was a New York Times bestseller. In the last chapter of his book, he says that he asks people, right, and this is, he says, what is it that you want in life? He says, what is it that you want in life? And so if I were to ask you, I mean, the answers are not, like, extremely diverse. You know, usually uh, you want to meet, you know, a good person. You, you want to get married. You want to have children. Uh, you want to make money. And then in the last chapter of his book, he, sa he says, but you need to press people. You have to press people and say, why is it that you want to meet someone? Why is it that you want to have a job? And he says, the answer is always the same. The answer is always because I want to be happy, right? And so he says, for most people, happiness is the goal. But then he did a, actually a lot of research. Uh, Tony Shea, he's a bright guy. He got accepted to every Ivy League, and he decided to go to Harvard. Yeah, so he's done well. And so he did a lot of research, and he said he found that this is, this is by the way, this is not even Christianity 101. This is what social psychologists, um, therapists, they have all found, that most people actually do not know what will make them happy. This is like 
Okay, Tony Shea, by the way, is, is, he was by no means a believer. But he was saying it's really interesting that when you look at all the research, most people do not know what actually makes them happy. And he has a great analogy. He says it's sort of like this. Um, he, he was training to run for a marathon. And so if you've ever run a marathon, you think, okay, the way to really train is, okay, week one, try running a mile, week two, run five miles, and so forth. And he said that's not the case. It's actually very counterintuitive. He says if you want to prepare for a marathon, you have to jog at a pace where you can have a dialogue with someone. And he ends his uh, chapter by saying, you see, if you want to be happy, right, you have to tr trust less your instinct and go towards what's counterintuitive. This is very insightful, what he's saying. And you know why it's so insightful? Because in one sense, this is what he's saying. Everything our culture is telling you today is this. You know this. You know this, right? He says, if you want to be happy, what, what, what do you hear from our culture? Follow your heart. You know, like, do whatever makes you happy, right? Um, I, my kids were on Zoom school this year, and I was listening to all the stuff that they learned. <laughs> And um, my kids are so funny. When you juxtapose raising kids in the church and raising them in public school, like my second son's teacher would say, you can do anything you want. My son said, no, that's not true. My dad told me that's not true. He said, he said I'm never going to play football. We have bad genes. <laughs> so, so but it's really interesting. Just, you see, what you're taught and what has been a given for you now, right? The psalmist and Tony Shea, right, he's saying, reconsider it, reconsider it. Now, let me tell you what is super duper sad about Tony Shea. He was basically a billionaire, but he died this past year. He, di he died. And when he died, uh, at the end of his life, he had a drug problem, a drinking problem. And it begs this question. If you went to an Ivy League, if you were basically a billionaire, like at the age of 40, if you could have, and he was, I mean, friends with every celebrity. He was friends with Bill Clinton. I mean, he had, and even with all of that, if you can't be happy, right, he begs this question, like, huh, maybe I should reconsider my beliefs on how to be happy. See, that's what the psalmist is saying. It's saying, I know it's really popular in society to say, today to say you're never going to be happy unless you follow your heart. You're never going to be happy, right, unless you have this house, right? The psalmist is saying something really interesting. He's saying, if you want to be happy first, you have to take a step back and reconsider your sources of happiness, like what you have learned, right? And then he goes on to say this. This is actually really interesting. You notice how in verse 1 he says, blessed is man, but then in verse 2 he says this, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. See, very subtly, the psalmist is saying this. If you want to be happy, ha something else has to be your ultimate goal. That's actually very, that's the key insight. If you want to be happy, then if you make happiness the goal, you're never going to be happy. But if you make something else your goal, right, there is then the chance of being happy. And let me just parse this out for you. This is a, if the psalmist were your counselor, this is what he would be saying to you right now. You really want to be happy? then for a moment, stop obsessing about it. And instead, you have to ask more basic questions. The psalm is that he's saying this. You have to ask questions like this. Is there a God? 
Is there a God? If there is a God, what is he like? What is he like? And depending, and assuming that there is a God, and by definition, if there's a God, then that means I'm not God. So that would mean what? He's my creator. And I have to think about how to relate to him. See, the psalmist is actually being very, very thoughtful. You see, I know a lot of non-Christians say, the reason why I'm not a Christian is because I'm actually a thoughtful person. I would actually argue that Christians are very thoughtful because they're able to um, uh, come to this logic. They're able to say this. Let's say you believe that happiness is following your heart, right? And you believe that you want to leave behind a legacy. But if you really parse this out, and by the way, many existentialist philosophers have parsed this out. If there's no God, there's no ultimate purpose, someday the sun will go, and therefore this world come, will come to an end. Therefore, no one will remember you, and everything you do is absolutely meaningless, right? Existentialist philosophers have rightly said, there's no way you can be happy. You see, they've actually thought this through. This is why the psalmist is saying, if you want to be happy, right, happiness can't be your goal, but you have to ask the more basic questions, right? And ironically, this is why Jesus said, do you remember this famous statement? He says, seek first the kingdom, and then all these things will be added unto you. See, like, dear friends, like, this is why happiness is so counterintuitive. If you want it, you can't make it your goal. Okay, so that's number two. But that leads to my last point. <clears throat> Look at how the psalmist ends here. The psalmist says, therefore... The wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, I want to ask you to take a step back with me and consider this. This is basically what the psalmist is saying. Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. And know this for sure, that the wicked will not stand in the presence of God. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, wherever you are in terms of your faith, let me ask you to take a moment to take a step back and think about what this psalm is saying. The psalmist is saying the happy person is the person that loves the word of God all the time, meditates on the law of God. And God knows this person, and surely only such a person, right, will stand forever in his presence. When you are sober, and you take a step back and you think about this, how can anyone read the psalm and say, I am blessed, right? Instead, to be honest, if you read Psalm 1, you can't help but come to this conclusion. Holy smokes, I'm doomed, right? You, you see, like, a sober person reading Psalm 1 knows that he has not lived a righteous life, right? When I was growing up, there was this song that terrified me. And most of you probably know this song. It was always sung during Christmas. And uh, the first time I heard it, I was like three. But I vividly remember it goes, uh, it begins with a threat. You better watch out. <laughs> and it continues. It says, you better not cry. You better be good. I'm telling you why Santa Claus is coming to town, right? And then it begins to speak about his omniscience. He knows when you're sleeping. He knows, and he knows everything. And I remember thinking as a three-year-old, I was like, who is this fellow, right? <laughs> because I thought to myself, I'm absolutely doomed because he knows everything about me. The Bible says that God knows everything about you. Everything. And that is a scary thought. 
whatever spiritual veneer you might give here, God knows your heart. He knows if you have lied to your spouse. He knows if you've had a lustful thought, even in the past 24 hours. He knows of like the bitterness that you've held in your heart. And this is why, friends, you cannot read Psalm 1 and think, oh, this is great news. It's, it's actually not. And basically, Psalm 1 is saying this, left to ourselves, no one can be happy. But this is why Psalm 1 points us to the only person that ever delighted in the law of the Lord until the end. See, dear friends, Psalm 1 is all about Jesus because there is no one else who ever loved the law of the Lord until the very end. And so when the verse 1 says, like, look at how differently you can read Psalm 1, where it says, Blessed is Jesus, the only one who never walked in the counsel of the wicked, the only one who never stood in the way of sinners, the only one who never sat in the seat of mockers, but his delight was in the law of the Lord. And on his law, Jesus meditated day and night, even if it cost him all things. And you see, dear friends, this is what the gospel says. It says that Jesus is blessed. And the promise of the gospel is that if you turn to him and you trust in him, because of that union, you too are blessed. You see, you too can be happy because his death becomes your death, his resurrection becomes your resurrection, and his glory becomes your glory. And let me end it in this way. Do you notice how this psalm ends with a future orientation? It says, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. It's pointing us forward, right? And you see, this is how the gospel can make us very, very, very happy people. You see, the Bible promises that someday Jesus will return, the new heavens and the new earth, and that everything that is his will be yours, right? And you might be like, yada, 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 what difference does this make? This makes no difference in my life right now. How does that gospel future reality make a difference on my life here and now? Let me ask you this question. Let's say you had two individuals. The first one was offered $10,000 to work uh, an entire year, entire year, without any uh, single day break, right? An entire year cleaning toilets, cleaning toilets. The most horrific, gross restrooms you can imagine for, you know, an entire year for at least 15 hours a day, he had to clean toilets, right? And, but he was promised at the end of this year, you're going to get $10,000. Again, my second son would be like, that sounds like a lot of money, <laughs> right? But for most of us, we know that's not the case. But let's say another man was given exactly the same job. He was given exactly the same, like, work. But he was told, at the end of this year, you are going to get not 10000 you are going to get, like, $10 billion, right? Do you think that these two men doing exactly the same work might experience their day-to-day -day reality differently? Absolutely. I mean, it still would be gross, but the second person, right, would have this odd joy 
because of the future glory that awaits him. You see that? Psalmist is saying this. Jesus died for our sins, and so we are no longer condemned. His righteousness is ours. Jesus was exalted, and someday he will return, and in every knee shall bow, and every tongue will confess that he is the Lord. But that glory is your glory. That exaltation is your exaltation. And to the extent that you believe that through faith in Jesus, right, you can be the blessed man. You can be happy because of what Jesus, our Lord and Savior, has done for us. Let's pray together. Let's pray. <clears throat> Jesus, we thank you that you are the blessed man. You were the only one that ever delighted in the law of the Lord. And you are the only one that can stand in the judgment. You are the only one who really deserves the title of being perfectly righteous. But the gospel now comes to us and says, if we put our faith in him, we too can share in his happiness and in his blessedness. And so I pray for these dear fellow believers that they would believe with all their hearts that happiness is possible. But happiness is possible if it's not the goal. But instead, if we make first and foremost our priority Jesus and his kingdom, then all these things, including happiness, will be ours. And so I pray that you would turn our eyes to see, to believe, and to, and to embrace Jesus and Jesus alone. It's in his name we pray. Amen.